applying that to the sound for this region and for, for this house. And it's a sound of freedom and it's a sound of liberation, honestly. So, yeah, get after it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Amen. Yeah, honestly, pray for him. He's got a lot of talent in him to do that. So, anybody else a songwriter in here? It's time to start writing. Get it, get it happening. Yeah, if, if you don't have any other outlet, go sing it to a river. Go sing it to the mountain. Go, go you know, I, I love, we were called to, you know, to sing creation so that it would bring creative order back into place. So that would be good. So I'm so excited to be back with you guys. It's a real honor. It's a real privilege. I love that song we just sang, You Make Me Brave. I think one of the biggest challenges I've seen in pastoring the, the local church for many, many years is getting people mobilized and activated in what they already know. One of our good friends, Bobby Connor, says this. He says, we've been educated way, way past our level of obedience. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> you know, it's, it's the truth. I mean, how many more seminars do we need to go before we're activated? How many more conferences do we need to go here? I'm so conferenced out, it's unbelievable. And I go to a lot of them, and I preach a lot of them. But what I'm longing for is that the body of Christ would be mobilized and activated to see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm hungry for a people who just catch glimpses. I love that song, You Make Me Brave. What would each one of us be doing tomorrow if fear were removed from the equation? If it's different than what you're doing today then we're under the influence of a lie because fear doesn't come from God. Sometimes we cloak uh, wisdom as fear. We call it wisdom, but the Lord's just saying, now nah, you're just a sissy. <laughs> Does the Lord talk to you that way? He talks to me that way all the time. I was just telling Daryl and Lisa at lunch, years ago I was um, in a real blue funk. I mean, I was in depression out of my mind. We were trying to get this church up and running, and it was going bad. We'd taken a church at 450 and run it down to about 80 in about four months. <laughs> and I was feeling really edified and built up and encouraged by that whole thing. And I was, I, I, I literally, I was telling myself, I hated, it. there were Sunday mornings I'd get up and say, Lord, I don't want to go, I don't want to go to church. And it was our church. <laughs> It's really bad when the pastor doesn't want to show up. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I just didn't want to be there. I mean, it was just tough. And I was in really bad depression and not coming out of it. And, and uh, the Lord knows how to get our attention. I was laying in bed about midnight, and all of a sudden, two big old huge angels kept right into the room and awakened me through a conversation they were having, not to me, but to each other. And one angel's talking to the other, and they were both big, stern. One of them was really angry. I called him the angry angel. Because he's talking to this other one, and he's, he's going like this, and he's going after it. And then the other one would talk back to him, and then he would look at me really sternly. Oh, it was a bad encounter. I didn't know there was honestly going to come out of it alive. But he's, he's seriously, I thought, oh, no, I'm, I'm in trouble, and I don't know why yet. And so he's talking to him, and then he turned back, and the other one would talk back to him. And after several moments of this, I finally had enough courage to say, what, <laughs> can, I, can I help you? <laughs> and... And, and he turns around just, just as sternly as can be and points his finger right at me. And he says, we just don't get it, speaking of the angels. I said, you, you don't get what? He says, we don't get how you humans can be given so much and do so little with it. You see, grace was never offered to them. They had to be perfect from the day one till now or they would be exiled from heaven. 
That's why a third of them fell with Lucifer. We don't get it. How can you be given so much and do so little with it? And the truth of the matter is that most of it happens because we are influenced by lies and not by the truth. And the moment we step into agreement with the lie, we empower the lie. Well, I'm not capable. I'm just, that's too scary. I'll never be able to do that. Those are for super Christians, you know? And so this is the thing that I've had to try to come up with. And I knew in a moment in, in, through the rest of the encounter that I was having that God was giving me a challenge. And he said this, he's, it was just as clear as a bell. You've got to get over this very quickly. Depression, all of that stuff that you're going through in this blue funk, or it's done. He says, you have 24 hours to get over this. That's what he said to me. And I knew that it may not be the end of my life, but I knew that it would be the end of my calling and my anointing for that region that we are possessing in Ogden. God, God's pretty serious about what he places on our lives as mantles and mandates. And here's the big deal. Each one of us have only got a certain amount of time to spend on the earth. It's the only opportunity that you and I have to be able to give ourselves selflessly and wholly to the cause of a holy king for the purpose of something more than just going in and punching a time clock and collecting a wage. Coming home and mowing the grass, petting the dog, putting the kids in bed, going to sleep, starting it all over tomorrow. The routine of that is wonderful because it calls us into discipline to provide for our families. And it's all good and it all can be very holy. There's nothing unholy about us working. But if the work becomes the thing and not the release of the kingdom, and we've missed the whole point. Each one of us called to release the kingdom wherever we're at, at work, at play, at, at the grocery store, what, whatever's going on. I remember years ago we heard the testimony, maybe some of you have heard it, but there's a young man that came through Bethel School, the Supernatural, and he had been so captivated by this that he just decided that he had to do whatever it took to, to release the kingdom. And so he's, he's been doing school all day, he's doing everything, and he's, it's really late. He's had a lot of things going on that day, and he goes into the grocery store at, at midnight, honestly, to just grab a few donuts and a few things together so because he, he was hungry. And so while he's in there, um, he begins to talk to the, to the checkout lady. And next thing you know, he has a word of knowledge for a healing for her. And he prays for her. And she instantly gets healed at the checkout stand in the grocery store. And so he gets super excited about this now. So he's saying, oh, man, isn't that great? She said, that's great. She's crying. She's weeping. She says, you know what? I think God's up to something here in the grocery store. He said, could I have your microphone? The, the mic, the announcement, PA. She says, go ahead. She's got her healing. You're king for the day. So she hands him the microphone, shows him how to turn it on. He pushes it on. He says, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. He said, I just want to tell you a real quick testimony. He says, my name's Chris. Over here at aisle checkout stand number seven, so-and-so lady, she just got healed. She's been sick for a long, long time, and God just healed her. He says, I think Jesus might want to heal somebody today. If you need healing, step out into aisle checkout lane number seven. We'll pray for you. Seriously, it happened. So next thing you know, there are people looking around the end caps. Pretty soon, here comes a whole line of people lining up at the Piggly Wiggly, you know, to get healing. And next thing you know, four or five people. One of the guys that got healed was a professional pianist. And he had been, um, um, had carpal tunnel, and he was losing his livelihood because he couldn't perform any longer. He couldn't teach lessons any longer. He was just, it was, and he had said that day, just that day, he said, Jesus, I don't, he was a Christian, he says, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, I don't know whether my life is even worth living if I can't be able to provide and sustain my family through the gift that you've given me. He said, could you please do something for me? And that evening at midnight, a young man who became brave and overcame fear got on a microphone and says, if you need healing, come to check out seven. Professional penis was just one of about 15 people who got healed that night. Completely, totally healed. Then he says to him, he says, man, 
Isn't it amazing that this king would come and give you such a good gift? How would you like to know who he is? And he gives an invitation in the middle of the grocery store for a bunch of people to get saved. So Piggly Wiggly now becomes, you know, first church of Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Honestly, it just happens that simple when people will just step out of comfort zones and just begin to become real and real authentic and not worry about what people think. What would you do tomorrow if fear were out of the equation? Whew. And so if there is fear about all of that, how many people, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not, this didn't become natural to me. I, I went through Dr. James Kennedy's evangelism explosion. Did anybody else do that when you were, you know, back in the day? You know, if you're old, you're, you're with me. So, <laughs> but, but we learned the whole routine. It's a canned gospel presentation and you, you were supposed to go to people's door and knock on their door, which is terrifying to me in the first place. I'm going to go speak to people I don't even know and who don't really want me to take up any of their time on any one of these given days that we're there and knock on their door hoping they'll listen to what we've got to say. And I remember repeatedly when I first started to decide, hey, Jesus, please don't let them be home. Jesus, please don't let them. I'm just being real because it was like the most terrifying thing. But, but the thing of it was is that it was, it was a sales pitch. It was a sales presentation. It wasn't just natural talking to someone about, hey, I see that you've got a physical disability. Could I pray for you that you might be healed? It wasn't just something that came out of a natural flow of love and a natural flow of relationship. It had an agenda. And last time I knew, people could smell agendas a mile away. Yeah. But they really will fall in love with Jesus if you just present them Him in whatever fashion that you are comfortable doing. But it's just becoming real and authentic. I'm telling you, we're in the middle of a probably not the middle, we're probably honestly at the beginning of a, of a reformation that the, the country and the nations are honestly going. We've been privileged, my wife and I have traveling all around the world now doing this stuff, and we've just seen a, a supernatural increase of God restoring Holy Spirit government back to the church. And if we were going to be truthful about it for the last 50 or 60 or 70 years, we've been not a, a five-fold operation around the nations. We've literally been threefold with pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and we, we exiled the prophets because we didn't like them. <laughs> we didn't like what they had to say to the church, so we said, no more of that prophetic ministry stuff. That stuff's scary. And for right reason, we had a lot of examples that were pretty ugly, if you remember the days of some of the prophetic movement that happened. And, and so we've had the whole movement of the church, honestly, being led by a pastorally driven model, which is okay, but it's not the structure that heaven wanted to institute when it says in first apostles, second prophets, that whole thing, remember? And so we're at the beginnings, I think, of an apostolic reformation that's apostolic prophetic. The whole fivefold is coming into place so that we can see the fullness of the stature of the goodness of God being manifest to the sons and daughters of God so that the church can become everything that she's supposed to become. This holy, spotless bride without spot or wrinkle that we get to present back to Jesus as, as a gift an inheritance to him. And so we see this apostolic wineskin that's beginning to form around the nations, which I'm just so incredibly grateful for. See, Peter Wagner was a guy that saw it coming. He began to write about it, and we all said, I don't know whether I believe that. But here we are at the beginnings of it. What do apostles do? Apostles are those who are forerunners who begin to see out and see the bigger picture of everything. The prophetic as well, but the prophets see what's coming around the corner, and they begin to both foretell and... and, and uh, Proclaim what's going on. But these ap apostles that are rising around the nations, and, and trust me, I, as soon as you come up with a new title for something, man, we go to Africa and everybody's an apostle. You know, it's like everybody started printing their business cards, apostle, as soon as somebody started said, there's an apostolic reformation. Well, I want to be an apostle. So I go over to teach in the school every year. And we have about 150 students that we teach two or three times a year. 
what's your name? My name is Apostle Samuel. I said, no, what's your name? I didn't say title. I said, what's your name? Well, I'm an apostle. Apostle to what? You haven't done anything yet. You know what I'm saying? You, you haven't even gone out and preached four sermons. How are you an apostle? You know what I'm saying. But what is it that apostles do? Apostles are those who bring in set formation for regions and declare and decree and open the way. It's a term that we honestly didn't even come up with in Christianity. It came out of a Greek culture, apostolos. It was a military term. It was a, a, an apostle in the Greek culture was a, the lead ship among an armada of ships that would go, breaking open a way into new territory. And in a Roman Greek culture, the, the rule and the right of an apostle was to go into a region. And what was his job? His job was to go in and set up a beachhead. And then his job was to make the place that he had come from, or the place that he was going to look like the place that he had come from, Rome. Remember, all roads lead to Rome. And so an apostle would come and set up a beachhead to make everything look like Rome. Jesus uses the term and brings it into the New Testament, and he calls the 12 apostles. What was the purpose? So that they could reestablish on earth where Jesus had come from, which was heaven. So apostles opened the way to bring heaven to earth. The number one priority of most of the apostolic voices that I've seen is, is not just to build big buildings. It's to see the culture of heaven transposed over the template of this earth, crying out for a son, crying out for a king. You guys know Bill Lynch. He's probably one of the most profound examples of an apostle in this modern day that I know of. Because everywhere he goes, he brings the culture of heaven to wherever he's at, and he's not content to leave that place until it looks like the template of what Jesus said it's supposed to look like. And so we're living in an age like that right now where the whole church is coming underneath this apostolic grace and prophetic grace so that we can become what, it's, what is necessary to be able to see the kingdom multiplied on the earth. You and I have the privilege because not all of us will be called apostles, not all of us will be prophets, not all of us will be pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but when we submit ourselves underneath the gifting, calling, and anointing of one of those offices, remember what the, the, the Old Testament says, honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, and you'll do what? Receive a prophet's reward. So when we honor and when we show a place of positioning ourselves underneath authority, we begin to operate out of the same authority that those fivefold ministers do. So the fivefold's whole purpose is not just to, so that they can go do the work of the ministry, it's so that they can raise up an army who will be able to be multiplied, to be able to do what the king has said needed to be done, to create heaven on earth. How much do we get to do? I don't know. I just know it's a whole lot more than we have today. Would you agree? I mean, I mean, seriously, the whole issue of dominion and the whole issue of taking over, the whole thing that we lost in that Genesis 3 conflict where, where man signs over the lease papers and gives all of the authority back to Satan so that, he, so that now Satan has dominion over the earth. Jesus came back to take the keys back to that, but he expects the rest of it to be redeemed by a people who would call themselves sons and daughters of God to be able to walk into the land and begin to take possession of everything that they see. Just as valuable as it was for the nation of Israel to come out of Egypt and to go into the promised land, you and I have the same mandate today to take back what the enemy has stolen, to undo the work of the enemy in every place that we see, see the enemy working. And so it, it fleshes itself out in places of social justice with issues like abortion and issues like poverty and issues, issues like human trafficking. And, and we begin to take back what the enemy is stealing from our generations. And we say, we're not content. I'm going to be brave because somebody has to stand up. Somebody has to say, not on my watch. And do you believe that 
you could be the one responsible for that watch. I promise you that we are. You and I stand accountable for this generation. We may not stand accountable for the previous generation or the next, but you and I, in the space that we live, will stand accountable for what we do with this time. Oh, it's sobering, but true. I was awakened a few months ago. God speaks to me sometimes in some crazy, crazy ways, but I was awakened a few months ago, and I, if you're over 40, you'll catch this. If you're not, then go along on the ride anyway, please. But, so I'm, I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I, I wake up with this song just glaring inside of my head, and it's an old Chicago tune, and it says this, Does anybody really know what time it is? And then the next line, does anybody really care? Bum, bum, bum. And it just keeps repeating. Does anybody really know what time it is? And that's the question that I would pose to you. Do you know what time it is? Secondly, do you care? Because I can promise you the times and the days that we're living in are absolutely critical to this hour for whether we're going to see the kingdom expand or whether it gets pushed down. You know, we were, we were talking... I don't know whether it was you or somebody else this week, but I was talking about everything that we're doing with the national debt and all the stuff that's swirling around in politics and all that, and it seems like the whole agenda of, of a political generation is just to push the ball down the field a little bit farther so that it doesn't have to be dealt with in this generation. We'll hand off all that debt to another generation and let them worry about it, because after all, that is not even, even, even close to the value of the kingdom of heaven that says that we are here to store up an inheritance for the generations of our children's children's children instead of handing them a generational debt package. <laughs> Does anybody know what time it is? I promise you our politicians don't know what time it is. And I promise you by the way they act, they're showing that they don't care. But we're living in a time and a season where someone has to take back the reins of what's going on. If we're talking about reformation of cities and nations and people groups, so all of that that happens, it will happen because a grassroots people starting just like this will, will begin to, to gather and to begin to strategize, begin to say, how could we make a difference you won't be responsible necessarily for a national... You may be. There may be people, honestly, that's raised up right here who will, who will lead nations with what, what it is that you have to say, but you will be responsible for where you have influence. Huh. True? Oh, it's a heavy message for Sunday night, but I'm going to go into it anyway. You, you see, because we're equipped to do it. If we weren't capable of doing this, he would have never given us this mandate and this power that we talked about this morning, this exousia, this authority that begins... You know, we were talking about the intimacy of power and authority. Power is one thing, but intimacy is far greater because when you have intimacy, you gain authority from heaven so that what you decree and what you establish, you will decree a thing, Job said in 28.10, and it will be what? Established for you. That sometimes the only thing necessary to shift the entire culture and shift the whole nation is for somebody to stand up and just decree and declare, no more. I decree... I declare, I prophesy over this land. Let these bones, these dry bones over the nation of the United States live again. Let revival begin to spring up from the earth. And when you're in a relationship of intimacy with the Father, there's a weight and authority that comes upon you so that you come into agreement with what the Father is saying. Jesus said it this way, I only do what I see the Father doing. I'll only say what I hear him saying. Therefore, go. You guys go now. He's the model. He's the mandate. And so we begin to release, we begin to declare, we begin to decree. You say, how can my voice matter that much? Because your voice is backed by the authority of heaven when you're in relationship with him. When you stand in right relationship, all of heaven, everybody say all, 
all of heaven. Picture it all behind you as just this big wall of, of defense and offense that's just pushing you into your destiny, pushing you into the places where God can make a difference in the culture of the day in which you live. Schools, workplaces, governments. It's all available. The enemy has silenced our voice by telling you that your voice doesn't matter. I don't know. There's some right underneath the sound of my voice today who were even told that when you're a child. You've learned through behavior of, of the, the adults in front of you to, to sit down and shut up and be quiet. What's it telling you? You don't have a voice and you don't have anything that's worth hearing or anything worth saying. And we've got to just completely break the spirit of that thing and that poverty thing and the, the orphan spirit off of you so that you know that my voice matters. I have an ability to speak into the nations. I have ability to speak into my school. I have an ability to speak in my family. And because I'm a friend of God, he'll listen and he'll bring all of heaven to begin to change my family. Some of you are saying that. I mean, I'd love to change nations. How about the family that I'm living that's so dysfunctional? Work it. Try it out. I promise you when you begin to declare the things of God over your family that they'll start acting like God. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the truth. How many people get into a critical spirit and you begin to just begin to come into agreement with what the enemy says about little Johnny who's tearing the whole family up? That Johnny, he's a dirty little blah, 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 blah. That's what I heard all my life. <laughs> Self-deprecation from my father to his generation and self-deprecation to his kids. Who do you think you are? You're not going to amount to anything. Get that voice out of your head. Start speaking the things that you want over little Johnny as though it was God speaking to him. We had a close friends of ours that had a son that was tied up in all kinds of homosexuality. and who They were part of our leadership structure that we were part of for years and they'd been praying for him. But here's what they'd do. They'd sit down at breakfast and they would take communion for their son and they'd say, Jesus, we declare over our life that our son is not this, he's this. Here's the words that were prophesied over him when he was a baby. Here's what you said about him. And they begin to just begin to take communion every single day, prophesying over their son. Communion, prophesying over their son. Six months go by, eight months go by, nine months go by. They're sitting in a leader's event with us and they just all of a sudden they get a text message and they're right in the row and they just start bawling and weeping uncontrollably because their son just had an encounter with Holy Spirit. He's flat on the face on the floor speaking in tongues. He spoke for tongues for four hours before he could get off the floor and he says, I don't know what happened, but I'm back. <laughs> it's over. I'm just broken. And he walked out of that lifestyle in a single encounter because his parents refused to believe the lie of the enemy over who the enemy said he was. So does anybody know what time it is? I'm telling you, there's a, a, an anointing that rested on the sons of Issachar. You'll find this in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, beginning with verse 32. 1 Chronicles is a post-exile instruction manual for the nation of Israel to find their way back to God, honestly, is what it is. It's an instruction manual for people who have drifted so far away, and this is an instruction manual, to, a, a way to get yourself back to God. But we see this, this tribe of people, Issachar, the tribe of Issachar. It says, of that tribe, in verse 32, and of the sons of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen were under their command. So here is an anointing. Everybody say anointing. Just making sure you're tracking with me. Here's an anointing that rested on an entire tribe of Israel. And the anointing was so that they would understand times and they would understand the seasons in which they lived. And they were the ones who then had answers in times of difficulty, times of trouble, times of sorrow, times of knowing how to get out of exile and back into the grace and, and restitution of, of being in relationship with God. Oh man, I've traveled around the nations enough to know this as well. We need... This anointing probably more than ever to rest upon a people so that we know what to do in times of difficulty, in times of trouble. 
Lance Wallnow, has anybody ever heard of him? Lance gave a ton of teaching a few years ago about the seven mountain strategies, you know, where the body of Christ is being raised up to take over these mountains of influence like education and government and finance and all these different areas, the church and entertainment and all of that. And it's really powerful. But he said this is the reason that it needs to happen, is that in times of difficulty, when people are asking questions, the people who have the answers will lead. I'm telling you, everywhere we go, all we hear are questions. What should we do? What's going on? What do the times mean? How are we going to do economically and feasibly? For, and, and nations, I mean, our own governments are asking so many questions right now, and they're so twisted up inside of everything else that they can't get anything done because they're focused on questions more than answers. But I'm telling you, there is a wisdom that is being released to this group of people right in front of me today that will be a people who understand times. They'll understand the seasons, and they'll know how to act. Contrast that just for a moment, if you will, with Matthew chapter 16. You guys will remember that when I tell you about it a little bit. In in Matthew 16, verse 16, it says that the Pharisees and Sadducees came up to Jesus, and they asked him to show them a sign, a spectacular miracle from heaven. This is out of the Amplified Classic, attesting to his divine nature and authority. He replied to them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather and the sky is red. And when morning comes, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and has a gloomy and threatening look. He says this, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. If we ever had a time when the body of Christ needs to be mobilized and activated with the supernatural gift of wisdom to understand it's now. It's not enough for us to be able to look at the natural. Anybody can look at the natural and figure out what's going on. We need to be able to see beyond that into the veil of the Spirit to know what's going on around us. Because when we do, we'll be the ones who lead. It, won't, it doesn't make any difference whether it's in your, in your civic you know, government in right here in, in this town or whether it's in a school board or it's in you know, your, your local homeowners association. Everywhere you look where there's a place to influence culture, You have been supernaturally equipped because this is what God is releasing to be those who have the answers in times and seasons. And so it's imperative that we be a people who understand. Otherwise, we will miss divine windows of opportunity and favor and blessing that's coming our way. Everybody say favor and blessing. blessing. Oh, man. All right, I'm going to go into it. Here's here's a a couple of things I'm going to go into, and then we're going to just activate some things. How about that? There's, there's two words for time in Greek culture. One of them is chronos. Everybody knows that. It's the chronology. That's where we get the tick, 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 tock of the clock that goes by linear, that goes from, you know, now till when we die. So that's chronos. There's another word, kairos. I love the definition. This is straight out of, honestly, um, Wikipedia. Kairos, you know, so you know it's right. <laughs> yeah. If you read it on the internet, you know it's right. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Google it. But, but it is. This, this is a, a, a very accurate trans, translation of what this word kairos means. It, it's an ancient Greek word meaning the right or opportune moment, a supreme moment. Kairos is qualitative, not quantitative. How do you like that? So far, so good. Kairos time signifies a period or a season, a moment of indeterminate time in which an event of significance happens. Kairos time is a God-opportune time that comes before you as a passing window. Everybody say window. So if you look at this window of Kairos time that's coming in front of you, it is a moment, an opportune moment, where divine favor and blessing can intersect. 
And those are the moments that the body of Christ has to have their spiritual eyes awakened enough to be able to be able to capture that time, that season, that moment. How many have ever had like this happen? You, you said, man, there ought to be a better way to build a mousetrap. And you come up and you think about it, and you've got like this huge like inventive idea, and you think, I ought to do something with that, but you don't. And then two months later, you see it released on television. Has anybody ever had that happen? All over the room. I'm telling you, it's, that's a Kairos moment. And why was it given to you? It wasn't given to you just to ponder. It was given to you to explore. It's, it's like Daniel and the songs. When they come, you grab, that's a Kairos moment to grab that and pull it into yourself. And these are the kinds of moments that God is looking to partner with humanity so that we can step into these moments. A Kairos moment occurs when divine favor meets opportunity. They are like passing windows of opportunity that come before us at the right season, the right time. The key is is that they have an expiration date. How many people have had a business deal that came in front of you and you said, oh, I ought to grab that, I ought to do something about that. You wait just even a moment too long and boom, the opportunity passes. You say, that's just the, the, the draw of bad luck. No, I believe that the opportunity was given at the right time, at the appropriate time, but because of fear or insecurity or maybe a past record of how many times we've been burned in the past, we allow all of our prehistory to get in the way of our ability to make a decision of a divine moment or opportunity, and the moment evaporates right in front of us. What would we do if fear were not a part of the equation? There is a desire of the heart of God to bless his people, and I believe part of that is to be able to connect with the authority of the economy of heaven so that we can grab a hold of these moments. I believe that there's properties all over this valley that have been secured in heaven that have expiration dates on them for the people in the body of Christ to be able to grab those those contracts and bring them to earth and to sign the deal into place so that the body of Christ can come into glorious, glorious provision and resource. Just one example I think there's church properties, honestly, that have been reserved in heaven, but they'll be lost if people don't have faith to step in and to recognize what happens. Here's what Leonard Ravenhill, does anybody remember Leonard Ravenhill? He was a tremendous, tremendous prophet in this last generation. He says, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. Whew! The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized, grabbed hold of, apprehended in the lifetime of the opportunity. Oh man, I use this all the time when we talk about the lost coming to Christ because there are opportune moments where Jesus opens up the door, the window. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I'll let him. He says, I'll come in and dine with him and sup with him and he with me. It's a, it's a divine window, an opportunity. It doesn't mean that it might never come again, but you grab a hold of these moments when they're there because you don't know, honestly, whether you have another opportunity. My mother, she's 42 years old, and, and the lights turned out in the middle of the night. She had a pulmonary embolism that, that choked out the, the blood flow from her heart to her brain, and she died in an instant. 42 years old. To this day, I don't know whether she made a cognitive, aware decision or a commitment to serve Jesus Christ. I do know one thing. She was given lots of opportunities before, but I never heard her speak of any kind of conversion experience. What does it mean? Opportunities are here for a moment. Our life's here for a moment. A, a whisper, a mist, a vapor, and then it vanishes, is what the Song of Solomon says, or uh, Ecclesiastes said. And so, here's the deal. I'm going to condense some things. Here's what happens when we have a, a divine window that opens up to us. Um, there, are, there are epics or seasons. By epics, I mean E-P-O-C-H, not epic, E-P-I-C, that are 
Classical theologians would have called it like dispensationalism, that God works a certain way for a certain amount of time during a certain season. Like, for instance, right now we are in the dispensation of grace. Old Testament saints were in the dispensation of the law. And so the the law was given, Jesus comes, it switches the whole mandate, now we're in a dispensation of grace. There are seasons like that that God wants to work with you and I. And so the issue is being sure that we're aware of what's going on. Um, and then the next thing that happens when these windows of opportunity open up is that there are suddenlies. Um, a suddenly happens suddenly. And so it's pretty, pretty powerful. Galatians 4.4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, uh, not born of a woman, or born of a woman and born under the law. So Galatians 4 talks about this fullness of time season that comes. What happens when Kairos moments, in Kairos moments where favor meets destiny? Here's what I'm telling you will happen in your life. When a Kairos moment meets destiny, there will be divine acceleration. Things that normally take years can converge in one single moment and come to pass very, very quickly, suddenly. How many people have been pushing in for some promises that have been waiting, you've been waiting on for, for more than a decade? I'm brave. I've got some big, big promises even for Utah that we have not seen fulfilled yet. In fact, as we were having the discussion, I thought maybe that, that my season might have been done here. And, and then some prophet came in and wrecked me and told me I had to get back to work. <sighs> he did. He led me on a 20-year journey of all, all of our time here. It was the most pr- profound, systematic journey that we've been on prophetically. And he just said, here's what's happened. Here's what you did. Here's what you thought. Here's where you said you were going to give up. Here's where, you know, God said, get busy, you know. And, and at the end, we said, I guess we have to re-enlist. I was ready to go to California, someplace, not here. And he said, no, you're not done. And so all of us have promises that have been spoken or things that we've declared, decreed that haven't happened yet. When divine opportunity meets destiny, it creates a suddenly moment where that thing can happen immediately. It'll create a, a divine acceleration on that thing where what, what took a long time just comes, boom, it's there, it's done. Don't grow weary in doing good for at the proper time, everybody say proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't do what? Give up. If you don't give up, you'll reap a harvest. Also, the thing that can happen is unusual occurrences. Things that never happen are now happening against ridiculous odds. Oh, divine favor lands on a person's life, and immediately, um, it's called in, in the Hebrew, yatar, Y-A-T-A-R. It means that you are supernaturally leapfrogged over the top of everybody else in the field, and you're set out in the front. You could call it like this, cream rises to the top, or you're just leapfrogged. And, and quite honestly, what happens with favor is that favor, uh, you ever hear that, that uh, message from T.D. Jakes? It was a great message. He said, favor ain't fair. <laughs> I just want to tell you all, favor ain't fair. Slap somebody and tell them favor ain't fair, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, always, uh, I just need a B3 player in my church. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> favor. <laughs> it ain't fair. And what it means is that just simply favor will put you out in front of people that quite honestly are more qualified than you are. How many people got a job that you knew you didn't deserve? (laughs) Okay, you know exactly. That's favor. You got pushed out into the front. And the best thing that you can do when when favor suddenly shows up like that is keep your mouth shut. Don't open your mouth and let anybody know that you're not know what you're doing. Get used to the new land that you're walking in. If you just keep your mouth shut, people think, man, that guy must be brilliant. He's so confident he doesn't even open his mouth to tell anybody how good he is. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, I don't know a clue about what I'm doing, but Jesus put me here. And so here's the thing. Never apologize for favor. 
If God, if God appoints you and anoints you and lifts you up and puts you out in the front, just stand in it and walk in it. Because I promise you, if you don't, somebody else will be a usurper who will steal it from you. They'll smell that thing on you, and they'll steal it right out from underneath of you. Favor is a divine occurrence of, of favor and destiny coming upon your life. And then, so it's an unusual occurrence, things that come against ridiculous odds, supernatural interventions, interventions the way that things come about make no earthly sense. Oh, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened. There's no way. The odds were completely stacked up against this thing, but here we are, and it's a done deal. And so, while we just wrap some things up tonight, and we're going to pray over you guys, and we're going to activate some things in the spirit realm, because I do believe with everything, and I, we've been preaching this all over the world for the last uh, probably year, this message that does, does anybody know what time it is, because we need to see the body of Christ become who she was created to be in all of her glory. It's, it's time to put back and push away everything of insignificance or feelings that you're just not good enough or that you're not enough. I'm telling you what, Jesus created every single person in here to be more than enough. You're more than enough. You're absolutely more than enough to be successful in this life and absolutely more than enough to be a, a world changer. Everybody is a world changer. Come on, that would be a good one. Slap three people around you and say, you're a world changer. <laughs> Nobody's slapping anybody. Come on, I mean that, seriously. Tell them you're a world changer. You just like slapping people. That's what I'm saying. Let's get that slapping anointing going in here. Oh, man, I've seen some crazy stuff. I just watched a YouTube video the other day from a church up in Nigeria. Some supposed man of God decided that he was going to do spiritual warfare in his congregation. So he said, the best way we're going to deal with this spiritual warfare, we're going to start beating demons off of people. So I said, go ahead. Slapping. I mean, I'm not talking about a little slap. I'm talking about they were, next thing you know, they've got it filmed. There are literally hundreds of people going fisticuffs in the church because that, that was what they were told to do. We're going to get demons. We're going to knock that demon out of you. Isn't that silly? Yeah, if Siri, it's on YouTube. I couldn't. Come on. It makes you want to pull it up right now, doesn't it? I will admit it was the most ludicrous, crazy thing I've ever seen, but it, 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 something inside of me said, well, that was pretty carnal. I think I kind of enjoyed that. Because but... <laughs> I probably wanted to do that to more than one person over my life in ministry. <laughs> oh, don't tell anybody at home I said that. But... Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Is it going out live over the internet or anything? Oh, dear Jesus. I don't mean that for any of y'all at God's place. So, <laughs> Y'all have been wonderful beyond belief. It was that other tribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I grew up that way. That's the way we handled business. I just, you know, we took everything out to the woodshed when I was a kid. If you couldn't get an agreement, you just went out and beat each other silly. And pretty soon you either submitted or said, ah, oh, we got it worked out. Whew, glad those days are over. Yeah. But let's get back on it for a minute. We're, we're called to be people who understand where we're at. Um, how many people got really, really crummy relationships or crummy, crummy culture in the place that you work? I mean, your work culture is just ugly. Anybody willing to say that? Could you believe that you could be an agent of change in the culture that you work just by showing up and carrying the kingdom? Because you understand the times and the seasons. And you just start demonstrating what love looks like. I promise you, 
Before too long, people are going to notice. Before too much longer, people will be asking you, you just carry something real. I don't understand it, but every time you walk in through our workspace, like, I just feel so peaceful. Yeah, that's the king. Next thing you know, you've got people in, in the upper levels of administration asking you, hey, um, you think you could help us to work out some stuff? We're having a lot of problems here with the way people act towards each other. Yeah, I think we've got some answers. I think that we could talk about what honor looks like instead of criticism. That would be a good place to start. What, what, what would culture of honor look like in this place rather than criticizing everybody all the time? What would it look like to bring love into the place instead of always being in competition with each other? You know? I, I've, I've, I've seen it happen. I worked on a line like that. I worked on an assembly line, and trust me, that's not the best place. I had a woman that stood across from my workstation and every day she used every kind of filthy language you could, not just in terms of her everyday language. That would not have bothered me. She was directing it at me. And I'm nice. But she would come up with just a barrage. You blankety blank, 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 blank. And then she'd come back the next day with more. And it was just like every single day. And I'm going, oh, Jesus, I, gotta, I hate this. But I didn't retaliate. I just kept coming on. And finally I found out one day she comes in, she's bawling and she's here, her mom's sick and all that and we prayed for her and she's, I said, can I ask you something? I said, why so much hostility? She's about 50 years old. She says, when I was 19 years old, I got married to a young man. I was a part of the church. I loved God. I loved the church, everything. We were youth pastors and my husband left me for another woman in the youth group. Then the church turned it and said it was my fault said, I went away from that church and I went away from the kingdom and I went away from everybody and I've hated the church and I've hated God's people ever since and you're the closest thing to a representative of the church because you said you just graduated from Bible college and it just reminds me too much of my former husband. Huh. And a kind answer will turn away wrath and I said, is there anything I can do to help you heal that? No! <laughs> Get out of my blankety-blank face! That would be a pretty good place to start. But we just kept coming and next thing you know, she's weeping. And she got her head buried in my shoulder just saying, oh, I'm so sorry. Why? Because we carry the kingdom with us wherever we go. We understand the time. We understand the season. And we have the answers for the problems. Had a witch on that same assembly line that used to come by. It was a, a black magic warlock. He'd come by and he'd, he'd snark at me just about every day. He says, you know, when we got to lunch, we curse you. I said, whoo. I didn't know I was that important. <laughs> Whew, I didn't know I had that much power. <laughs> Quite honestly, I didn't. It was just grace of God protecting me. But the truth of the matter is, is that kind of stuff came every single day. But we just, we just kept showing up, kept showing up, kept doing my thing, not responding but, but, and, and not reacting, but, but just allowing God to show myself, himself through me. A few weeks later, that man came up to me because his, his wife had just been diagnosed with cancer. The black magic warlock bows his head and he says, would you pray for my wife? <laughs> right here in Salt Lake City, when we first came here, there was a, I, I was like Mikey on, on the, the Wheaties commercial or whatever it was. You know, give it to Mikey, he'll do everything. Yeah, well, for me, it was he'll do everything. Yeah, that was the, my staff position. They just gave me all the stuff that nobody else wanted to do on, on the staff that was out, just, just the truth. And so they'd say, hey, give it to Shannon. He'll do it. And so we got a call from a lady in, in uh, Great Bend, Kansas, I think is where she was from, and she was coming to Salt Lake City. Her son was in 
um, the, the hospital, the LDS hospital here in Salt Lake, and he had um, congenital heart disease, a problem that he had since he was a child, and he's 27 years old and he's dying. She said, I'm going to be there tomorrow. Would you mind showing up and coming to pray with us? I said, yeah, I'll go. I'll be there. And so I get into the hospital, and it's too late. I didn't have quite a grip on that I was supposed to pray for the dead yet. But I walk in, and they're walking out of the room. He had just passed, and I get everybody together. Didn't take me long. I started looking around the room in this holding room that they'd had the whole family resting in, and this guy was the leading warlock of all over this whole region. And they've got all these books in here on the occult. One of them is a red book called The Book of the Dead. It's a, it's a guidebook to lead people into their next life. And before long, mama's a Christian, brother's a Christian, sister's a Christian, significant other of the warlock walks in, and she's another full-blown witch, and she sees me, sits down beside me, and starts manifesting a demon almost immediately. I go, oh, this is going to be interesting. So then mama turns to me and says, can you do the funeral for us? I said, you don't know anybody else? <laughs> she says, you're it. We came in from Kansas. The brother here is in the Navy. He's got time off on, on a hardship discharge right now, hardship break. You're it. I said, okay. So I show up at a funeral home right here in downtown Salt Lake City to what I can only describe as the night of the living dead. When I show up at 9 o'clock in the morning for a 10 o'clock service, there's already about 100 to 150 occult members out on the lawn, and they're holding a, a demonic wake for this guy. They're in full witch's regalia. Full. I mean, it looks like, it literally did look like Night of the Living Dead. And so I go, oh, Jesus. The, the, the director of the funeral home comes up to me and says, I'm the only one in a suit. He, he walks up, he says, who are you? I said, I'm the pastor that's going to have to do a service for this mess. And he says... Do you need anything? I said, no, I think I'll be okay. He said, okay. He jumped in his car and left. <laughs> He'd seen all of it. He wouldn't do it. He literally jumped in his car and he drove off. And so, oh, Jesus. And so here we are. This is one of those times where divine opportunity meets favor. And I said, I don't even know what to do. But I, I, I said, Jesus, you're just going to have to help me. So I stand up to do the funeral. And there's four witches in the back who've got all their, their potion stuff out. And they're flinging stuff at me, casting spells on me while I'm preaching. The next thing I see is that they, they got, this is for real, I'm telling you, this is for real. So it's happening right here. It's like, it's like a three-ring circus, and I'm trying to preach a message about God's hope and his love. And next thing I know, they've got this little, like, 18-month-old baby, and they're, they're holding him up. A person will hold him up, and out of him came the most demonic, mocking spirit laugh I've ever heard in my life. Told full-blown demonic manifestation out of an 18-month-old baby. They'll bring him down. They pass him down to two or three people, and they, they hold him up again. He starts doing the same thing. Another two or three people, they hold him up. What is he? He's a lightning rod for the demonic realm. He's the kid that they've dubbed to be the successor for the one who's up here laying in a casket. And all this is going on underneath the banner of a Christian funeral service that mommy and daddy have ordered. Oh, Jesus. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I just decided to give them what I knew, and that was Jesus. And so I began to talk about him, the hope and the Redeemer of all the world. I said at one point, I said, I'm absolutely convinced that everyone here doesn't want, most of the people here don't want anything that looks, acts, or smells like religion. And to that, there was a, a, a rowdy applause and almost a standing ovation. That's right! We don't want none of your stinking religion. I said, I don't either. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm with you. I don't want anything that looks like religion, but I will take is the man who came from Galilee, who can change everything, who knows you to the innermost, and he still loves you, and he still died for you, and he still did everything so that you could have hope and joy. So I'm absolutely convinced if you knew him, you'd want him. If you knew who he was, you would want him.
and led them through this thing. It was crazy. And then all of a sudden, I said, bow your heads with me. And so I've got half of the congregation bowing their heads, and the other half, they're looking at me in defiance, like, you ain't telling me what to do. <laughs> and in a moment, I said, if you really want to know this man that I just described, why don't you raise your head and look at me? The guys with their head bowed, they went like this. <laughs> you guys are always tracking. The other one's like this. <laughs> he was just like, whoonk. <laughs> and, and so there we are. I'm telling you, Jesus will get you into stuff. I, I, I would have never even thought this was even possible in my human life. I went into it with such fear and trepidation, didn't even know what we were going to do. I didn't know how we were going to lead this thing. And here we are, we got a half of the congregation wanting to receive Jesus. And we get to the end of the thing and we let him in a prayer and everything was good. And I said, what do you want me to do, Jesus? He said, well, he said, they know how to love because they're here. He said, why don't you have them form a receiving line and express their, their love to this family that just lost a son, that just lost a brother, that just lost a significant other. Just have them come by. So I stand at the front of the line. I said, what do you want me to do? He said, just greet them. So here I am standing. They all line up. I said, why don't you come down and just greet this family? So I'm standing in line and I just shaking hands. I said, my name's Shannon. What's yours? First guy comes by and says, my name's Frog. Frog. Yep, Frog. And then another guy comes by and it's like literally the, 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 the plagues of Egypt are walking by. Lice. Blood. You know, they're, they're, they're naming the plagues of Egypt. That's the names that they've taken on. This one little girl, she walks by. She looks like a, a, a Jewish rabbi, complete with locks, all that stuff. I'm going, dear Lord. And she's just, just mocking the whole, the whole religion of Judaism. And this whole thing's happening. And then, I, and then about two or three people walk by, and I, I reached out and grabbed this person. And then the, this is a divine moment where favor and destiny meets this opportunity Remember what it was like when the woman with the issue of blood who's pressing through the crowd, she says, if I can just get to Jesus, I know that I'll be healed. And so she's pressing through the crowd and she finally reaches out and just touches the hem of his garment. And in a moment, in an instant, Jesus stops the whole entire show and he says, whoa, wait a minute, who touched me? The disciples are saying, what do you mean, who touched you? There's a hundred people around here all pressing in to get to you. He said, no, this is different. He said, I just felt glory depart from me. That's the closest thing I can describe what happened when I touched this person because I could feel the anointing and the glory literally flowing down my arm and it rolled into this person in a flood of, of, of love and emotion and power and glory. And the next thing you know, this person's weeping uncontrollably right in front of me. And she says this, she says, what is that? I said, that's, the, that's him. And she says, him who? I said, that's the man I was just talking about. That's the real Jesus. And she's just bawling. She says, I didn't know he was real. I said, Meet me over in the corner when we're done. Two or three more people walk by and I reach out and grab a hold of somebody else and it happens again. And it happened again. And it happened again. And what I thought was going to be a complete train wreck is to be a glory party where God shows up at a mini of a witch funeral. And we end up over in the corner. There's 50 people over here in the corner. One guy who's been LDS all of his life, he walks up to me and he says, hey, I've been bound in homosexuality for the last five years. I hate it and I hate myself. I only do it because it's the place that I get love and affirmation from people. Can you help me? I said, yeah, we can help you. Four or five minutes later, the, 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 the Wiccan leader of this whole region, she's really ticked off because she's over in the corner fuming because here's her tribe all gathered around a, a, a Christian pastor. And so she marches right up into the middle of that whole thing and shoves her hand out into mine and she gives me this. She grabs me and she says, nice talk, preacher. But she wasn't prepared for what was going to happen next because the same thing that happened to those 50 now begins to flood in on her. Now she's nervous. 
And so she starts pulling away from me, and I reach down and grab a hold of her hand. I said, no, wh- where are you going? Huh. Where, where are you going? I said, you don't like that, do you? She said, no! <laughs> I said, well, I want to tell you something. The one who's doing this to you really, really loves you. If you'll hang out a little bit, you'll get to know him. And she says, never! And she drags her hand out, and she runs out of the room. Whew, completely gone, out of the building, gone. I just simply turned to the 50 over here, and I said, is that who you're following? <sighs> Can, can you believe that God would love people enough to, to interrupt a funeral like that? What would happen if you just simply show up and say, I'm available? That's all I did. I had no clue what I was doing. Honestly, if you'd have scripted that whole thing out and said, here's what you're going to do tomorrow. You're going to go and lead this funeral for this hype, you know, this demonic warlock. I'd have said, there ain't no way I'm doing that. But it's what happens when you have a call that says, does anybody know what time it is and does anybody care? Hmm. I'm not going to tell you all of you are going to lead funerals for demon-possessed people. But you might. One of our friends was over in Nepal several years ago and he's walking with this lady who's an apostolic leader and she's absolutely fearless and she's absolutely 100% obedient to whatever the Lord tells her to do and she's walking down the street in the city streets of Nepal one day and the Lord says, you need to go in there and, and pray for that man in that funeral in that casket. So she goes in and she just breaks up the whole funeral and says, excuse me, the Lord told me I was supposed to pray for this man. She raises, she puts her hand on the chest of this man in the casket. He's resurrected back to life, but he's resurrected demon-possessed. And so he comes up out of the casket and chokes, tries to choke the living life out of her. And so she had to cast a demon out of him and get him saved after that. But I'm telling you what, that'll mess up a funeral. <laughs> I will tell you that every funeral Jesus went to, he messed up. <laughs> oh, come on. What would happen if fear were off the table? And will you risk just looking stupid to a people who really don't care or matter to you anyway? You ever notice that when you go on a missions trip out of town or something, if you've been on any missions trips, that you've got this boldness because, oh man, it's easy to do ministry out here because nobody knows me. I got good news for you. Nobody knows you here either. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) Let's get rid of the constraints. Let's just do this thing. Let's be real. Let's, let's understand that the time and the season that we have is short-lived and that we have an opportunity to change nations. You have an opportunity to absolutely be a world changer right where you live just by being real in front of the people that are around you, speaking truth when it would be easier just to duck out of the way and be silent, standing up for justice when it would be easier just to be quiet. I do know this, boldness will increase when you, when you just simply begin to risk even the smallest things. Sometimes all it is is just walking into somebody's space that's having a real bad day and saying, you know what, I've been praying for you. It's all going to be okay. Because it will. God really, really does love you. See, most of you are more prophetic than you ever even think. 
Some of you are very prophetic and you know it, but there are some who don't think you're prophetic at all, and I'm telling you that you act prophetically every single day because Jesus has put his spirit inside of you and you leak. So you say things and you do things that you don't even know, you're not even aware of it, and they're absolutely 100% prophetic. How many people have you called on the phone and you begin saying, hey, I don't know what was going on with you, but I just thought I'd give you a call and see how you're doing? And they go, oh my gosh, I've been going through such a rough time. How many times has that happened to people right here in this room? All the time. What is that? That's the Spirit of God inside of you leading you. You're prophetic. You have good things to say. You have a voice. You have the ability to change an entire circumstance and situation because life is in the tongue. Are you ready? Let's stand up. Let's do some stuff together, okay? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to, because it's absolutely valid. I believe that we are in this transitional shift where we're entering into, the body of Christ is entering into a new time and a new season. That, you know, let me just put it this way. The day of the weenie Christian is over. Does that work? We could have said wimpy. What does it mean that, that we've, we've hidden behind our insecurities and stuff for way too long and it's just time for it to be over because we're in, a, we're in a, an epic season where divine favor is meeting destiny for each one of our lives. It is a new season. If you play this song, here's what I want to do. This is a song by Israel Houghton called It's a New Season, It's a New Day. Has anybody ever heard that? If you haven't, you're about to get rocked. I want you to turn it up and turn it up loud. And when you feel like it's time for you to step out into a new season of transition, I want you to step out from where you're at and step into this altar area. It isn't something that I do all the time. I just believe that sometimes in order to get out of the old, you have to move physically to get into the new. They're like threshold moments where there's a threshold, and on this side of the threshold is everything that you've been walking in, whether it's defeatism or victim mentality or orphan spirit or hurt or woundedness or anxiety or depression, all of that stuff. And on the other side of this, as you cross over this threshold, it's an opening for you to step into something brand new that shifts you forever, that changes things forever. And so if you play that, whenever you feel like it's your season, your time, I want you to just come on up and just stand here and then we can just receive what God's pouring out. Then we're going to pray for you all together, okay? So come on, that'd be good. That's good. Down just to touch. Inside of your spirit, turn that on down, that's fine. One of the other lines that, that he, he sings in this song is that you've got to say what you see so you can see what you said. You've got to say what you see so that you can then see what you said. What does it mean? That you have to come into agreement, you begin to declare and decree that thing that you want to see transformed in your life. Everything is rooted upon our declaration of who we believe ourselves to be and what we will then place a demand on heaven to acquire. And so if you want a new season, you're going to have to, that's why we kept playing it over. It's a new season. It's a new season. It's a new season. Why? We're trying to let our spirit man catch up with what our ears are already hearing. Because sometimes the divide between our heart and our spirit are two different things. 
The spirit man saying, yeah, I'm eager for that, but our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions is saying, yeah, but you don't know all the trouble I'm going through. And God's saying, I don't care the trouble you're going through. I'm declaring to you it's a new season. Will somebody agree with me? Yes. Yeah, that's what God is saying. Will you agree with me? And so we declare and we openly decree, the past season is over. I'm stepping into a new one. I'm going to take advantage of every Kairos moment that comes in front of me. I'm going to be obedient to the call on my life. I'm going to be obedient to the thing that you've put in my hands, the giftings, the callings, the anointings that are in my hands. And I don't know what that looks like for everybody else, but I know what you're calling me to be. And that's just a person who loves radically and who will share what you give me with others. Just to be real, to be transparent, to not be afraid. We break off fear. We break off anxiety. We just say it's time for the church to arise and the church to shine into a new season of hope and glory. It's time for this house to become driven by what the King of Kings says over you and not what the, what the community has said. Daryl, I'm telling you this right now. It's time to disassociate yourself from what the community has said about Oasis Vineyard and, and to start believing what the King says about Oasis Vineyard. He's the one who's doing the promotion for this place from here on out. Who? Yeah. We had to come with that for a long time because we had people who were trying to define who we are who don't know any part of our vision, don't know any part of who we are in Ogden. And so we've had a whole bunch of people say, oh, you can't go over there. Those are the crazy people. They believe in the miraculous. Yes, we do, unashamedly. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's time for this house to come into alignment with everything that God says about how the kingdom will operate in this valley. Yep. That you just stand up with authority and you stand up with confidence and you stand up with boldness and say, yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. we are. We are the people of the king. We are people who will reflect the goodness and glory of king over this city and over this area and this region. And we just, we just say, Lord, let your kingdom come to Oasis Vineyard. Let your glory come to this church. Let your authority come to this church so that this church begins to thrive and teem with apostolic life. Life that begins to just pour out over this whole, whole body. I pray that what happens every Sunday, will there'll be like spoils of war that keep coming back with people who just come and run to the pastors and say, you're never going to guess what happened last week. I prayed for this person and they were healed. You're never going to believe this financial miracle that happened. Oh, this thing happened in my family. God restored my brother back into faith. Just week after week, I just pray for testimonies to flow in, to start flowing into this house about the goodness and the mercy of God being poured out on a city and poured out on a people. Because the people just decided that I'm going to risk being real and risk being seen. I break off this, this, this spirit that wants to keep you bound in a place of insignificance. No one here is insignificant. No one. And so we bless you with the king's authority to walk as a child of God. You have rights and authority. Look at me, everybody. I remember when I, was, when I was 16 years old, everybody remember what it was like to get the, the, the driver's license and be able to take the first solo journey out? Remember all that? Who I remember, I, I've got an old vehicle out here. It's a 1968 Bronco. Oh, that's yours. That's mine. Nice. Yeah, that was my dad's. He bought it brand new. Brand new. And so you, you wouldn't consider it to be like this ultra-fast vehicle, but I remember the day that I turned 16. I don't know why my father to this day did this. I don't. But he takes the keys out of his pocket, I've got the original key in my pocket right now, the very same key. He takes this key out of his pocket and he throws me the set of keys. He said, there you go, son. Why don't you take that thing out and see what it'll do? 
I have no idea why he said that to a 16-year-old because you know what a 16-year-old did to that thing? I think I almost blew the engine up in that thing. I found out exactly what it would do, about 105. Which for that vehicle is pretty fast. And it's pretty scary. So here we are. And I feel like in the spirit that that's what God is saying to you all. He's, he's given keys of authority that will unlock anything that you put into turn. And, and those keys of authority. And he's looking to a generation to say, hey, son, why don't you go see what that'll do for you? Right now, you possess the ability to go drive my 68 Bronco. <laughs> if you do, I'll probably wrestle you to the ground before you get out there. But, but this is what heaven is declaring over a group of people. Why don't, I've given you the kingdom. You've been given incredible resource, power, authority. Why don't you just take it for a test drive and see what you can do with it? Doesn't that sound a whole lot easier than, oh, i got to go be a witness? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't that sound a whole lot better to just say, oh, man, whew, it could be dangerous, honestly, but it'll be okay. You know, it might look like 105 with a lot of angels surrounding you at times, but <laughs> it'll be okay because you're surrounded by heaven. There's a mandate on your life. There's a kingdom mandate on your life for authority to go and to be. And so just do the stuff. Don't wait for someone to, to appoint you or anoint you or lay hands on you, all that stuff. You've already been appointed. You've already been anointed. You're saved. You carry everything that you need. Sometimes I think we put way too many restrictions in the church on what people need to be qualified. Over in Mozambique, where my daughter's been serving in the mission field over there, they, 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 they raise up pastors. They, they get a guy saved. One guy, they, he, he's, he's raised up, I think, Oh, I don't know how many churches, but on average, he was planting two churches a day, this, this apostolic leader over there was. He goes into a village. He asks the Lord to show him who it is that's supposed to be saved and who the, the king leader is of that community, and he goes and shares the gospel with him. That guy gets saved. He says, can you gather everybody in the community? He says, yeah, I can do that. That's easy and it's because he's got authority. They gather all the community. He presents the gospel to the whole community. He says, that's good. This guy that got you all together, he's your pastor. <laughs> like, he just got saved 30 minutes ago. He says, don't worry about how to work out. We'll come back and train you later, but you're their leader. Just get them together. Here's a book. Read them this for, for this book of John for the next few weeks. We'll come back to you and train you. And he's planted like two churches a day like that, qualifying people as he goes because Jesus qualifies us. Am I saying that we need, don't need training? No, we need training desperately, and that's what that nation needs more than anything else. But we, we complicate this thing way too much. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen come from believers who just got saved a few moments ago. We turn to them and say, hey, prophesy to that person. What is that? It means that you hear God and God's got good things to say. What do you think God's saying? And they open up their mouth and just say some of the stuff that absolutely yes. blows my mind. Yes. Why? Because the Spirit of God now richly dwells inside of them. And they didn't receive a junior Holy Spirit. They received the real deal, the whole magnificent package of Jesus and the coming in, in the flesh appearing to them. And they've been sealed and now they're, they're just like him. You're just like him. Each one of you, just like him. So as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is here. What does it mean? Now. Ultimately, it means it's right within me. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is right here. I am a walking encounter. I'm a walking experience of the Lord Jesus Christ so that where I go, he goes. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, cast out demons.
I'm making a trip to Kenya next week because a prophet just came into our church a few weeks ago. He says, I see you going back to Africa, but this time I see you seeing AIDS completely eradicated. And it's going to cause such commotion that, that community leaders and civic leaders and government leaders are going to be approaching you to say, how can you help a, an epidemic through our nation? That word so intimidated me that the first thing I did was book the fair. I said, I've got to activate this now or it won't ever be activated. And so I'm pushing it out into the airways to a bunch of people who will know in a few weeks whether it was true. Why? Because if you don't risk, you'll never see anything. And I'm telling you that if you don't risk, you won't either. How do you spell faith? R-I-S-K. Here we go. It's time. It's time to become the body. It's time to become the body full of grace, full of truth, full of life. You are a carrying witness of Jesus Christ to demonstrate everything that he said that he did and more. Greater things will you do because I go to the Father. Yeah. So I bless you. I am going to do one thing before I, we, I'm going to, our worship team come up, but um, put the worship team right here for a minute. Hey, I got my keys back. So, <laughs> uh, Where's the worship team? I want to pray for you guys real fast, and then I'm going to have them playing. But if you want to, I want to just release something. When I was in Brazil several years ago, one of the things that happened, and it happened to Daryl as well, but... Um, um, Randy Clark lined a bunch of, our, of, the, of the senior leaders and pastors up in a hallway. Do you remember this? And we were getting ready to go into a service that had several thousand people in that thing. And he just said, I want all the pastoral leaders to stand. And he walked by and he simply said, everything that I have received through apostolic and prophetic leaders around the nations, I give to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the whole essence of Matthew 10, 7, 7 and 8. As you go preach this message for the kingdom of heaven is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, for freely you've received, freely give. All I know is that when he got done praying with me, everything in my whole life changed. From that moment forward, I became an active person who walked in signs, wonders, and miracles. Everything was different from that moment because there is an impartation that can be received and an impartation that can be given. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I long to be with you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift that would cause you to be built up in your most holy faith and that through that we might mutually be edified. What does that mean? Is that not only are you here to receive, but you're here to give. That what you carry is important and what you are is important. And so it's by no means a one, one, one pony show where some guy hands out all this stuff. No, you carry the resident anointing to release things into my life as well. But we're going to just do this. And, and you were there. I want you to come with me as well. We're going to pray for, for everybody here to just receive that same anointing that we received from Randy Clark that, we, that would just mark our lives. Here's the worship team because they're going to put them to work in a minute. But yeah, so we just, we just breathe in you and we say, come Holy Spirit. Just pour in, pour in, pour in anointing. Pour in glory. More of your presence and authority. Right now, release, 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 release. You're bigger than you think. Yep, you're a whole lot bigger than you think. Yep, and so I bless you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're amazing. You're amazing. You really are. You're an amazing, amazing daughter. Amen. You carry such grace and humility. He's really, really proud of that. And so we bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Songwriting, here it is, Jesus. Okay, get to work. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, while, while I was sitting right here and uh, Shannon was speaking, all of a sudden I felt this burning come on my chest. And I, okay, what, you know, so. But the Lord said there's others that felt the presence of God yeah. in your body. You That's the, so good. Yeah. yeah. 
And so we want to pray. You know, if you're that person, we want to pray for everybody. Trust me. But yeah. I'm trying to respond to something here. So if that, if you felt not necessarily a burning, but a presence, it could have been. Yeah. Uh, it could be just heat. It could be tingling. It could be uh, just a, a sense of like a warmth.